Hi and welcome to this week's episode of Poems A Penny Each. We're going to have a look at a poem called The Great Hunger by Patrick Kavanagh. Now this poem is over 750 lines long. I think it's about 756 lines long. And it would take 40 minutes for me to read it. So I won't be reading the poem this week. I will have the links for you to read it yourself. I really do urge you to read it because this is a uncelebrated masterpiece of Irish poetry. It is an absolutely incredible piece of poetry, incredible writing. And there's a very strong message in this poem. And and what I like about the poem is, is that it uses the, vo- the, the voice of the life of one man to try and pass on a message about Irish society during the 1940s. And we we learn, as I said, I'm not going to read the, the poem to you, but I'll just read the, this section here where we get to, to meet the protagonist. Okay. So in, in the first section, we, we meet the man and he, Maguire and his men, they're working on the field picking potatoes. The poem says, if we watch them an hour, is there anything we can prove of life as it is broken, backed over the book of death? So then we it goes on and says, is there some light in the imagination of these wet clods or do we stand here shivering? Or why do we stand here shivering? Which of these men loved the light and the queen too long virgin? Yesterday was summer. Who was it promised marriage to himself before apples were hung from the ceilings for Halloween? So we were introduced to Paddy Maguire, um, who is too long a virgin, who promised himself that he would be married um, by the end of October. And, and this is the man uh, whose life is unfulfilled. Um, in section one, further on in section one, we can read a part here that says, he was suspicious in his youth as a rat near strange bread. So it's quite a, a telling thing. As suspicious as a rat near strange bread when girls laughed. So he was suspicious and felt ill at ease with women when they laughed. When they screamed, he knew what that meant, to cry of fillies in season. He could not walk the easy road to his destiny. He dreamt the innocence of young brambles to hooked treachery of the oh the grip or the grip of irregular fields. And no man escapes. It could not be that it could not be that back of the hills love was free and ditches straight. No monster hand lifted up children and put down apes as here. O oh God if I had been wiser. That was his sigh like the brown breeze in the thistles. He looked toward his, towards his house and haggard. Oh God, if I had been wiser. So here it is. The whole essence of this poem is that we're learning about this man who looks at his home. He could have been married. He promised himself he would be married, but he didn't. He was shy around women. He dreamt when he was younger of the fields. As it says, the innocence of young brambles. So when you're a kid and you're out picking fields and the fields are fun, they're a place of play and of enjoyment. But the hook grabbed him, he was pulled in and eventually there was no escape for him. He was trapped and like an ape, he's just there living a life of no joy, just a life of basic subsistence. Quite a sad poem.
And so we read on about how in, in, in section two, it talks about his mother who was, uh, Maguire was faithful to death. He stayed with his mother till she died at the age of 91. She stayed too long, wife and mother in one. When she died, the knuckle bones were cutting the skins of her son's backside and he was 65. So we have this idea that he, he again, it's talking about his relationship with his mother. And even at one point it says about um, things he loved. He loved his mother above all others. Oh, he loved his plows and he loved his cows. And his happiest dream was to clean his arse with perennial grass on the bank of some summer stream. To smoke his pipe in a sheltered gripe in the middle of July. His face in the mist and two stones in his fist and an impotent worm on his tie. So here he is. And and the poem even later on, we read about how his mother's voice was like a, a rusty knife, a rusty blade that cut sharper as she got older. And and it says that it cut through the heart of him, it cut through, through his, the middle of him and, and made him more woman than man. So she emasculated him. This was not a place of love. His mother was not a kind loving woman and she was cruel and harsh his sister was not very nice to him in fact the poem describes the his, the relationship with his sister as being like punch and judy which was a, a famous couple who argued and fought with each other a lot but th these uh, punch and judy puppets as it, it says in the poem they speak they speak the words that his mum would have would have put in, into his mouth. That's what, and that's what it says. She held the strings of our children's punch and duty, and when a mouth opened, it was her truth that the dolls would have spoken. And that's in section twelve, where it it describes the actual death of his mother. Um, and and even even in this death, it's it's not a very um s sorrowful moment because. Here we talk about it. She died one morning in the beginning of May, and a shower of sparrow notes was the litany for her dying. The holy water was sprinkled on the bedclothes, and her children stood around the bed and cried because it was too late for crying. So they're crying, and not because they're sad at the loss of their mother. They're they're crying for the relationship that they could have had, the mother that she could have been, and and they could have had a, a better relationship. And now it's too late for that to ever happen. And that's what they're crying for. So they're not crying for the loss of their mum. They're crying for the loss of what their mother could have been. And and, and and then it even goes on to say here, a mother dead, the tired sentiment. A mother, mother was a shallow pool where sorrow hardly could wash its feet. So even the whole idea that she wasn't really someone you could be sad about. She wasn't, a, she was a shallow pool that was too shallow that you could even actually, you know, wash the feet of sorrow in so there wasn't much space or much room for sorrow when she died and and marianne the sister she goes away can't, or goes away from the deathbed to continue um making food or boiling gruel for the cattle so there's no time to even mourn for her she's just back straight on on with the job there's no sorrow when when the old dear dies so we get this sense really of a very unhappy life and and yet the whole time in throughout this poem Paddy Maguire there's moments where he, he thinks about women that he could have been with at one point he even thinks about how he could you know have a relationship with with some of the local schoolgirls, 
because they are very familiar with him and and this familiarity kind of leads him to think oh you know i could you know i could no i could have have a relationship with these these girls wouldn't think anything improper of me making assignations to them but then he stops himself and goes actually no people you know do talk and i'll end up in prison for that and then he goes home and 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 okay quite a lot of the time there's there's quite a few references in this poem to him um going to the to the heart of the the home the fireplace and um masturbating into the fire into the ashes and it's this whole idea it's it's quite a strong picture that is of the fact that here he is at the the open vagina of the of the house as where and the house is his bride and he's um copulating with the house as it were but it's into ashes into hot ashes there's nothing there it's it's just there'll, there'll be no fruitage from this uh, he's just copulating with with ashes as it were and and his life is ashes and it's it's quite a, a very sad poem in in this way but again throughout the poem there's a lot of beauty in it because he takes a lot of pleasure and delight in the nature it's full of birds it's full of flowers even his dream of wiping his arse with, with grass by a stream it, it's a very simple honest you know delight in nature that he's taken so what is this poem about what actually is the whole point of this poem and and that's the question that you know a lot of people think about is this poem just talking is the, the poem's called the great hunger is the great hunger just the yearning and desire that, that patrick Maguire and his sister mary ann have because time and time again it talks about her too um at one point it's talking about her being in part the purgatory of of her virginity she's unmarried she wishes that she would go to hell or heaven whichever would be better than the purgatory of being where she is and and so a lot of people think that that's what this poem is about the hunger for for sexual intimacy the hunger for love because they're not getting any love in this household it's a very unhappy household uh, some say that he's looking for it's talking about a psychological and spiritual and intellectual starvation i think that there's something more going on in this poem and and it goes to the title the poem it's called the great hunger and and which is why people talk say that the great hunger that he's on about is the fact that he's starving for for love he's starving for intimacy he's starving for um you know intellectual stimulation all these things and and that certainly is the case but the fact is it's called the great hunger and I keep thinking about this. The Great Hunger is the name given to the famine. It comes from the Irish translation that for the, the Great Famine of the 1840s, which was on Gorta Moor, which means the Great Hunger or the Big Hunger. The Great Famine of the 1840s in Ireland was a traumatic 
uh, travesty in which a million people died. I think about that. I'm not sure now on the figures. I'll just actually look that up. How many people have died? How many people have died from coronavirus? Worldwide, the figure of death is 965,000 people worldwide so far have died from coronavirus. That's quite a horrific number, but that's a worldwide figure. One million people died in Ireland from the Great Famine. Two million more fled the country. That's, that's how traumatic this event was. The thing about the Great Famine is, is that it could have been avoided. It could have been prevented. But because of the mismanagement from the um, planted ruling class from England, the Anglo-Irish nobility who were also part of the English nobility and part of the English system of government in Ireland, through their mismanagement, they basically forced the native population into a, a, an existence where they could only manage or afford to, to grow and, and feed themselves on one, one crop, potatoes. As a consequence of this, when the potatoes uh, failed in the 1840s because of blight, these people had nothing else to eat. They weren't there because they chose it. They were there because their land had been taken from them and they were severely restricted and only able to basically live this harsh life and, and live on, on, on one crop. And because that crop failed, they starved. In the meantime, the better land that they had been taken from them and which was being used to produce wheat and other stuff to be sent over to feed the English population they were they were starving to death here and forced to live on one crop while food that they were growing was being taken from the land and given over to feed the British population in mainland Britain as a consequence of this it, 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 it was only a short matter of time and, and it did happen there was a, a failure in the, in the crop and people starved while they were starving they were watching food being taken from the country and, and sent over to other parts of the world and to britain and the british government said that it was a consequence of their laziness and for a long time did nothing to help there were people that did help there were parts that, that did help and it wasn't all you know soup kitchens where if you if you convert it to the Anglican religion you would get a bowl of soup and they would look after you. It wasn't all that. Some landlords like the one in, in the village I grew up in in Enniskerry actually fed the people in that area because he felt obligated to look after them. So they weren't altogether evil but a lot of them didn't and a lot of them just allowed people to die because he, they said it was God's punishment and God's will for these people to die because they were lazy and pointless even though they had been put in the position by mismanagement and government decree. So the, the Great Famine was definitely a man-made disaster that could have been prevented from happening and it could have been stopped at any point. For me, the fact as at the end of this poem, Patrick Kavanagh um, says in the very last stanza, he's, uh, it talks about the um the story is done 
he stands in the doorway of his house, a ragged sculpture of the wind. October creaks the rotted mattress. The bedposts fall. No hope, no, no lust. The hungry fiend screams the apocalypse of clay in every corner of this land. So, here for me is what this poem is really about. He's talking about the suffocating clay of Catholic conservative society. Patrick Maguire and his sister are victims of the, the society they live in, the um, obligations, duties and responsibilities that they are forced in by the church and the state and the, the pressures of society for them to conform and fit in with the roles that they've been given have led them to be to, to be in that position. It is this which has led them to be unfulfilled and suffocating. And so this poem is talking about the apocalypse of clay. The hungry fiend screams the apocalypse of clay. This is the priest. This is the clergy screaming about the judgment that they will face. And this clay, this suffocating clay, is in every corner of this land. So this isn't just a parochial problem that's affected poor El Padre Maguire and his, his mum and his, his, his sister. This is the clay-like suffocating um, society of Catholic conservative Ireland of the 1940s. And how just how bad was it to live in this time? Uh, to be a writer, to to try and, and be an Irish writer at this time was horrific. And and just one example that I always go back to is the example of Eric Cross, who wrote a book in the that was published in, in the 1940s called The Taylor and Anstey, which was this a collection of stories um from that he wrote about a local tailor called Timothy Buckley and his wife and and Anastasia and he wrote this book and it was published but the censorship board which was established by the government led by De Valeria who was a complete clergy bootlick this decided that this book was a little too like racy for them and the Irish people needed to be kept simple innocent childlike dopes and so they banned this book but it wasn't good enough for some priests in his local area because three priests went into his home and forced Buckley onto his knees and then burned the book in his own fireplace. And this was the kind of thing, it wasn't just enough for the Catholic Church that they could ban this book, but they felt empowered to go into this man's house, force him on his knees and force him to burn his own book. And this was the kind of thing, this was the great hunger, this was the great suffocating clay that was killing our um, Irish society, that was starving the Irish people of literature, that was starving the people of of life, as Patrick Kavanagh saw it. And because of this, the Irish people were even were starving intellectually, but they were also leaving the country in their droves and we saw how this happened because 
you know, James Joyce left the country. Samuel Beckett left the country. There were a lot of Irish writers, and that's just only too high profile, but there were a lot of Irish writers who felt compelled to leave Ireland at that time. Even Willie Yates died overseas in the 1940s. Oh no, it wasn't the 1940s. He died. It was in the 1930s, but he died overseas. And and it was this thing that a lot of great Irish artists and writers and others had to leave this country. And, and without them there, Ireland was a place that was starving intellectually. And that's what this poem is about. Because the poem is basically saying, without, without the writers, what is left in Ireland is just these poor unfortunate clods who have to work like apes. Their, their existence is that. And yes, they, they find beauty... And they find um, joy in nature, which was, you know, the whole thing that what um, Devilera wanted. You know, the, he did this famous radio broadcast where he described his dream Ireland with fat, doughty ma maidens bouncing babies on their laps, and you know, Ireland living a simple, honest thing where the people were childlike and they just looked to their religious leaders and their political leaders and just did what they were told, like good children. That was the, the whole idea of what Ireland was meant to be. And here's poor old Paddy Kavanagh. He's fallen into that. And his life is miserable. And and he's yearning. And all Irish people were yearning. And so that this is what this poem is about. It is a way of protesting and belly aching about the, the state that Ireland was in. In the 1940s. And indeed carried on like that. Right up until. I mean in the 1960s they they you know, ended the, the whole censorship era and finally people were able to read books in Ireland that they'd been prevented from reading for a long time. But the Catholic Church still had a lot of sway and it's only up until the, 20, uh, the middle of the last decade really that finally you could say that the Catholic Church was no longer the majority controller of, of the state. But, yeah... That's what this poem for me is about. It's it's a protest and a complaint. The fact that the Catholic Church is star was starving the people. That once you took away the writers and and you forced people to live in this this whole idea the devil era was promoting at the time of a rural Ireland and people living married to the land. It was miserable. That way of life was miserable and and. Paddy Maguire is the case example of it. The fact is, is that if you force people to live this kind of life, their life will be a life of starvation because they they might be, you know, working on the land and having the food and all that, but they will be lacking terribly. And that is what this poem is about. It is a protest against that. And unfortunately, I think that this poem is just completely and utterly overlooked. It's forgotten and it's, about time the people read it again and, and just reminded themselves of, first of all, how great a writer Patrick Kavanaugh is, or was, I should say, but also remind themselves of really why Irish society, a lot of people nowadays keep saying, oh, let's take Ireland back to Catholic Ireland. And this is why that should never happen. So that's why I want to recommend this poem. And unfortunately, like I said, I can't read it to you. It's just too long and... You know, the idea is to keep this podcast to as close to 30 minutes as possible. 
and it's a 40 minute long poem to read out so i do urge you to read it yourselves and i do urge you to actually buy um patrick heavener's book that his selected poems because there's so many great poems in that and i'm i'm no doubt i will visit some more of his work later on over the course of this podcast but yeah the the great hunger definitely a poem that you should read and if you do read it and you do have any ideas yourself about it please contact me by using the hashtag poems a penny each Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to rate the podcast and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the links in the show notes for more information about the poet and to read the poem we looked at this week. And also check out the link to learn more about my poetry. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, stay safe.